When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Sunday night's Premier League review show here at the Football Social Daily. And despite all the postponements and the last minute changes to the Premier League picture this weekend, here at FSD we are still keeping you right up to date on all the latest from a reduced weekend of Premier League action. Five postponements quickly became six on Saturday as Burnley's trip to Aston Villa was called off but the remaining four games spread across the last 48 hours have stepped up to the mark and delivered some absolute Christmas crackers. In part one, we'll be reviewing all of the action from those games. Arsenal strengthened their grip on a top four push with a 4-1 win at Leeds. Manchester City cruised past Newcastle. Chelsea were held to a foggy draw at Wolves. And 10-man Liverpool held on for a point in an absolute humdinger away at Tottenham but as we all know with the live action cut short this weekend in part two we'll be taking a look at some of the other big stories doing the rounds in the Premier League this weekend we'll be taking a deep dive into Sergio Aguero's Premier League legacy after the Argentinian announced his retirement last week and we'll also be checking out the latest transfer rumours yep the window is only a couple of weeks away and Deli Alley could be on his way to St James's and a little bit further down the line, Erling Haaland could be on his way to Manchester City. Right, so plenty to get through despite a reduction in games. My name's Fergal Brennan and on tonight's show we have the seldom seen kid of the football social daily, <laughs> Manchester United fan and comedian Alex Boardman. Alex, how are you doing? Uh, good. Yeah, really, really good, thanks. Great stuff. Yeah, we haven't had John for a while. When was the last time you were on? I feel like oh, I haven't heard your voice for ages. You're lucky. I'm not sure if I've... I think I've done one this season because I just have to keep cancelling them because um, gigs were flying in. But obviously with what's coming up, you'll be hearing a lot more from me in the new year because gigs are going to be all cancelled, I think. 
in its own kind of way, that's something to look forward to about what could potentially be coming down the line. <laughs> Hearing more of uh, of your voice on the football social daily. <laughs> and alongside Alex, despite a defeat for Newcastle this weekend, we have a positive magpie. Football journalist and broadcaster Isha Acton. Isha, how's things? Brilliant, thanks. Like you said, I mean, a bit deflated, but I did not expect to win today. So what can I say? Indeed. Well, I hope you have got something to say, but we're going to be pushing uh, Newcastle and Man City a little bit down the agenda because that cracker in North London is the first game that we're going to focus on. But before we get into the games, we do have to touch on the situation regarding um, regarding COVID. Six games, Alex, postponed this weekend due to mm. a rise in positive cases right the way across teams in the top flight. Premier League have confirmed that there's going to be a meeting tomorrow. We're expecting an update on the picture around lunchtime. So just want to get your take on this. All of the clubs are going to be present. They're all going to be giving their views in terms of what should happen next, how the Premier League should approach this, how they as clubs, managers, squads should be approaching the situation. But the picture is absolutely stacked. Between now and the end of the end of the calendar year, we've got 10 days. There's 24 games involving Premier League teams, two full windows of Premier League games and the Carabao Cup. How is it going to play out? Well, I, I absolutely don't know because no one knows. But I think they will do everything they can to play as much football as possible, given the history of what happened during the very first wave and the very first lockdown. Football was one of the first things to come back with uh, no crowds. Um, this time, the problem seems to be more with regards to the teams not having quite having enough players. I understand from yesterday's Villa Burnley, um, when it got called off at the last minute, Villa couldn't actually field a full side and they'd not had the youth team or the, the younger ones, the academy players, had not been tested, wouldn't have had the results back before they'd have had to play. So you've got this the situation possibly where you're bringing players from Birmingham up to Lancashire and one or two of them might have COVID, which then spreads. I mean, my personal feelings are, why don't we just do almost like a little circuit break just for a week or two until we can see exactly how serious this this new strain is, how it, if everybody's got it, everybody's possibly then got immunity. Um, and then maybe the second idea would be to, to sadly take fans out again just to almost put the teams back in a bubble like they did during the very first lockdown. Isha, looking at the perspective of the Premier League managers, almost every Premier League manager has had their say on what they think has happened and what they think should happen next. Thomas Frank, Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, Eddie Howe. Everybody has fairly broadly similar overall view, but there's a lot of controversy and a lot of disagreement over how managers want the Premier League to implement the next 10 to maybe to maybe 10 days to maybe a month. This meeting tomorrow is obviously crucial. Boxing Day is a hugely significant uh, window of fixtures within English football, not just within the Premier League. There is going to be some sort of announcement. Do you think we're heading down the road for more postponements or do you think something else will come up in the next 24 hours? Well, I guess there's two things here. Are the matches postponed or do we seriously consider not having fans back in? Because I guess it is quite shocking that we still are at you know, more or less full capacity here when that is probably something that should have been considered a couple of weeks or so ago, or at least heading into winter. Some sort of action plan related to the correlation of 
COVID, positive COVID cases. And you're right in what you say, the managers are being very vocal about what they feel. Even Thomas Tuchel today, he said he was disappointed and angry because, of course, the Premier League rejected Chelsea's request to postpone that Wolves clash. I think a postponement would be supported by everyone involved. I don't think, yes, there's a huge legacy, there's a huge tradition there with the Boxing Day fixtures and even there's a huge commercial value there. Aside from the sentiment, it's everyone's home. Everyone's tuning in for the football or they're mm. there in the stands. I think it would be very foolish for the games to continue. And certainly I think it'd be foolish for us to have full capacity stadiums given all the cases. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's going to be a massive 24-48 hours in the Premier League in deciding how the festive fixture list is going to look. But there were four games that did just about survive this weekend. So we're going to get stuck into the big one from this weekend in terms of performance, in terms of excitement. And that was Tottenham against Liverpool. Alex, two all in North London. The goals, the cards, the controversy, the referee, everybody was right and front row centre of the action of this one. It was a brilliant game and, and the old cliche of a brilliant advert for the Premier League. Harry Kane gets his first home goal for Tottenham under Antonio Conte. So, uh, Song Kyung Min with a late strike ensured that Liverpool uh, were denied three points. Diogo Jota and Andy Robertson on target for the Reds. And Andy Robertson was absolutely in the middle of it all. Harry Kane tried to break his leg and uh, somehow managed to survive a red card. He then kicked out at Emerson Royale and got himself sent off, got himself a goal, got himself an assist. An absolute madness of an afternoon in North London. So I want to just kind of break it down into the incidents. So Harry Kane and Andy Robertson, really poor, reckless challenge from Harry Kane, yellow card. Andy Robertson, maybe frustrated about what that happened, obviously pumped up because he was performing really well, assist and a goal, kicks out at Emerson and gets himself sent off. And he was apoplectic. So was Jurgen Klopp, so were the Liverpool players, because they see this as... Harry Kane got away with one, whereas Andy Robertson was punished. Yes, and it's a, it, it really is such a shame that this is the first thing we're talking about because that game was absolutely incredible. But it is the main talking point of the game. Did Harry Kane get away with a possible red card? Yes, I think he did. I think in the way that referees in any other game or pretty much any other player that would have been a red because he's reckless and it's really, really dangerous. He studs, studs up over ankle height. It's a potential, I mean, it wasn't a leg breaker, but in modern standards, it's just not allowed. So I think nearly any other player in the league, apart from Kane, is getting sent off there. Uh, maybe the only other one currently is probably Ronaldo, actually, where the ref might go, this is too big a, de a decision. Mm. I don't want to make the headlines. Um, the other, only other difference, I think, is it was probably on about 20, 25 minutes um, and the ref was letting a lot of things go earlier in the game. Um, so that's probably the only thing you could say with, with Kane. And then maybe as well, is there intent? The difference with the Robertson one is there is total intent. He's never going to get the ball. I think he's frustrated. I don't think he's, he's frustrated with what's happened an hour earlier with Harry Kane. I think he's just frustrated because he can't get at the ball. Um, it's been a, it's a great hustle bustle game. Let's not forget it's Robertson. He's got a bit of a history of sticking a foot in. Um, and I think, I think they were both red cards, but if I don't think they can make any argument from the Robertson score, um, and I think I think it was just I think it was foolish, and I think it was a bit 
I think it was nasty because he knows he's never getting the ball and he just kicks wildly right through the back of the player and he doesn't care if he's going to hurt him. I suppose the only other thing you could say about Kane is he's a little bit out of control, so is the intent there. But for me, both red cards and what a shame we have that controversy because it was just a brilliant game of football. Isha, would you agree in terms of the motivation for the decision based on the timing of these two incidents? Kane was probably the first bad tackle of the game. It was the first card of the game. Whereas further down the line into the second half, there's been goals, there's been controversy. There's been six yellow cards prior to that, that Andy Robertson, just based on the situation in the game that his foul happened, it was inevitable that he was going to get sent off. But because Kane's incident, Kane's tackle was earlier on in the game, he got a bit more leeway. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. Timing was probably key in that. I mean, we all, even watching the game, we could feel the intensity of the game building. And in that second half, towards the end of the game, it it, it was very intense. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I pity match officials. That is their job, you know. But really, on paper, looking at both of the challenges, yeah, I agree. They both should have been sent off. Clear inconsistency by the match officials, the VAR officials. They both have explained their decisions without a shadow of a doubt on both counts. It seems that, you know, I have to agree, the referees are making these decisions based on reputation more often than not. For example, if we saw that Harry Kane tackle, whether it was in the 26th minute um, or later in the match, say if uh, a uh, Granite Xhaka, for example, had made that challenge, even early on in the game, absolutely, he would have been sent off because that's his reputation. Yeah. You know, we've seen this happen quite a lot. Of course, questions will be raised around Harry Kane. He's the golden boy. And... I think the Reds have a lot to complain about there, for sure. I just think I do agree this idea that reputations have played a role in this, and that's ultimately probably one of the deciding factors in in the Robertson red card, because the way the two players are painted in the eyes of fans, in the eyes of the Premier League, Harry Kane is the golden boy, he's England captain, he's never been sent off in the Premier League before, he has this perception as an honest player, despite the fact that we've seen constant evidence that he does deliberately create situations where opponents can get injured whereas Andy Robertson is essentially an easy target for this he is someone that is very vocal he's aggressive in the way that he operates the way that he looks to drive Liverpool on his challenge his tackle is a red card I don't really think there's much of an argument about that but he's been a victim of perceptions of him as a player whereas Harry Kane just gets a hall pass in these situations it's a straight red card it's a dangerous tackle I'd even argue that it's possibly more dangerous than Robertson's because Robertson's is a kick across whereas Kane comes through full pelt and he could have seriously seriously injured uh, injured Robertson in that incident so it's two reds for me but Harry Kane gets away with it purely and simply because he's got Kane 10 on the back of his shirt and that's that's just the way that's just the way I see it and uh, unfortunately from a Liverpool fan's perspective that was how Paul Tierney saw it Alex you said it's a shame that we're talking about this incident instead of the actual game because it was a brilliant game and it was so I just want to flick back in terms of stuff that happened not involving the red cards Kane's goal his first goal at home under Conte he has struggled for form so far this season obviously the situation with Nuno Santo at the start of the campaign and the potential that he was going to leave and go to Manchester City. Spurs need Harry Kane to start scoring goals. If they've got any designs on not being in the Europa Conference League next season, being in the Europa League, possibly even being in the Champions League, he needs to start scoring goals. And he did take his chance well today, but he missed three big chances. And that suggests that the, the hump 
the drought might be over in terms of numbers, but maybe not completely over in terms of what we would expect from Harry Kane. No, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, he, he should have had a hat trick, I think, and he's it, really, really surprised me. I thought both Kane, I thought Kane was better than Son. But they didn't even link up that well together. I thought Sun was particularly poor today until he scored. Um, but this, the the Kane header, for instance, the, there's an incident in the second half and the ball sort of ricochets around and he's, he's two, three yards out. And I'm not saying it's a 100% nailed on goal scoring chance, but for Harry Kane, that is a definite goal. Again, the ball that he's played through, I think it was Dele Alli puts a really nice left, butt, left foot um, ball on the volley through. Maybe it wasn't a perfect ball. Kane's one on one with a goalkeeper, and he's got a bit to do. But Harry Kane of old would have absolutely had a hat trick today. I think Tottenham in general. Um, the I think I was really surprised the statistic came up as I was watching the game, and it said Liverpool had had eighteen chances and Tottenham had had nine. But of those nine chances, they could have had six or seven goals because they were all really, really good presentable chances. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if something's still not quite right with Kane, if he's not quite fit. Um, I just don't know what it is. Maybe it's the new manager. Maybe stuff's not quite clicked yet because they've gone to a more counter-attacking style. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, vintage, vintage Kane would have had a hat-trick today. He, he was just a little bit off it. Looking at the situation with Liverpool, Isha, ahead of what's possibly, probably going to be a busy run of games between now and the end of the year. They've got Leicester in the Carabao Cup in midweek, Leeds at home on Boxing Day, then Leicester again in the gap between Christmas and New Year, and then they kick off 2022 with a trip to Stamford Bridge. If Robertson's red card stands, that's a three-game ban. They had four players missing today due to positive COVID-19 tests. Jurgen Klopp's been quite clear, quite vocal on his stance of the impact of making sure that his players are vaccinated and promoting more vaccinations within uh, within Premier League clubs. So given the fact that they're probably going to be missing five players for at least a portion of those games coming, how much could this impact Liverpool? These are really important games coming and the spine of their team is slowly being picked away by injuries, by COVID and now by this suspension for Robertson. Yeah, that is true. I guess the thing is, it's it's most teams that are sort of suffering with a lot of players out, a lot of players unavailable. And I think, yes, Robbo's out. He's a key player, no doubt. But, you know, Chimikas, he's very good cover. And, <clears throat> excuse me, he's ready. He's hungry for some action. I think it, they should be quite feeling quite fortunate that Chimikas is good enough cover for Robbo whilst he is suspended. I think, look, Liverpool right now, what are they, three points behind Man City? I, I don't think it should worry them too much. If it gets to like five or six points, maybe. But for now, I think they'll be frustrated for sure um, with the decisions today. And, you know, of course, they wanted to win. But I think they should be partially relieved to have come away with the point. It was a wild game. They could have easily lost. And yeah, it doesn't look too great looking ahead, but... Look around. The, the whole league, you know, every team is played with players that are, are unavailable. I mean, maybe it's just me saying this as a salty Newcastle fan at the bottom of the table, but Liverpool will be fine. I'm sure of it. They got good enough cover, especially with Chimikas. We saw him cover Robbo. When was it? 
uh, was it the start, the end of last season, I guess. Mm. I remember this because I had him in my fancy football team and I thought, wow, he's a bargain defender right here to cover <laughs> Robbo. He's getting me the points week in, week out. Liverpool have enough squad depth to cover them. I think they'll be all right. But it's going to be a difficult uh, 10 days or so right the way across the Premier League. We're going to move on and go back to uh, the only game that managed to survive on Saturday night, Alex. And that's Leeds at home to Arsenal. 4-1 win for Mikel Arteta's side as they build up a little cushion inside the Champions League spots based on some really, really strong form in the last couple of weeks. Three straight Premier League wins with just a one goal conceded. And... The Aubameyang issue is obviously still hanging over Arteta mm. and Arsenal. He was asked about it again in his post-match press conference and again he just gave a quite curt answer of saying he's not here tonight, that's all I'm willing to say. But it is going to rumble on until Aubameyang either comes back into the team or potentially is sold or, or moves out of the club on a, on a free transfer in, uh, in January. But they do seem to be doing pretty well without him. Alexandre Lacazette has come in, taken the armband, even if it is only on a temporary basis. And he's playing a really, really important role in this run of games that Aubameyang's not been available. Scored against Southampton, got an assist against West Ham, and then an assist and a really good performance last night. And given the players that are around him, Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, Erdegaard, young players, stacks of talent, but you do get the sense they need an experienced leadership figure that's right in the middle of them. Aubameyang has demonstrated that it's not him. Could it be Lacazette? Um, yes, and it, I, I totally agree with that statement. I really think it could be. And if you'd have asked me six or seven weeks ago, I would have gone absolutely not. Because he was. He's. I think he's a player that has not ever really reached his full potential at Arsenal. He was often subbed. Um, I think the Aubameyang situation has, has really helped Arteta in a very bizarre way because Martinelli has been knocking on the door and when he's been been brought on onto games going back about four or five games ago he was always being brought on on the right hand side and he always looked like he had a goal in him and he's got um, he's good at getting past people and he's a real fan's favourite uh, so on Saturday um, Martinelli was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and he played on the left-hand side exactly where Aubameyang would have played. And with Martinelli, you've got um, a player who's really, really tricky, really good at going forward, can score a good goal. Uh, Smith-Rowe is a wonderful, wonderful midfielder, great at skipping past people. The same with Saka. Um, he's got a, really, a core of really young, exciting players who are all very... Very comfortable on the ball, very good at beating a man. And you would need like a, a, just an absolute traditional old-fashioned um, stick it in the back of the net. And now I'm not sure Lacazette is fully that, but he can play like a, a typical number nine role and you force the defenders back. And when you've got those two, Martinelli and Saka, coming in on either side, um, the future looks really bright. Must be, must be a very exciting time to be an Arsenal fan, actually. Well, as an Arsenal fan, I actually agree with most of what you've just said, Alex, because in terms of the position that he's in within the squad, Isha, is that six months ago, 12 months ago, I wouldn't have been overly upset if, if Arsenal had looked to move Lacazette on because it seemed that he couldn't really get into top gear. He'd had a couple of injuries that had maybe seemed to have shaved a bit of pace off. His confidence had dipped. He wasn't scoring goals. But strangely, sometimes bizarre situations can actually work in a player's favour. Aubameyang, who's gone from being his strike partner to kind of now a rival in his team, that's 
such as the rise of Smith Rowe and Saka and other players in and around them, the two older heads are probably fighting for, for one place in the team. And Lacazette is clearly playing for a contract. He's out of contract at the end of the season. If he doesn't seize this with both hands, Arteta probably will just say, thanks for everything, but we are going to let you leave given the fact that he now seems to be having a bit of an upturn and looking to kind of turn a negative into a positive, will he get the contract? Does he deserve it? Could we see a massive U-turn from almost certainly leaving 12 months ago to being club captain in 2022? It's an interesting turn of events, isn't it? I think... I guess on one hand, you could say that Lacazette, you know, he suits your style of football and he is a complete striker. His work rate, he does create space for others to make runs into the box. He holds up the ball well. I think he does seem like a positive sort of, he has a positive energy on the pitch for the young players, for sure. He provides proper guidance for them. And so far, I think he's filling the shoes of captaincy pretty decently. Perhaps me personally, you know, I, I'd, I think it'd be best to give him maybe a two-year deal. Maybe he won't score many goals, but like I said, he could be a very important player in this young side. So maybe keep him one or two years whilst bringing in a better striker in the long term who can replace him. I guess on the other hand, yes, age isn't on his side. I believe he's, he's 30 years old. And it was around 30 years old, Arsenal gave Aubameyang that big new contract. And it's, of course, it's not worked out very well. But I, I, I guess I shouldn't compare them too much in that same breath because, like I said, Laka is not going to score as many goals as Aubameyang, but he is clutch in uh, decisive games, mm-hmm. I think. And I do think he takes the team performance to another level. So I do think he's deserving of a new short-term contract. I don't think it should be at the expense of these younger players because when I look at Arsenal, I think, wow, now that's an exciting young squad. The amount of young talent you have on board, it really is exciting. And nothing excites me more than a team full of young, promising talent. Uh, Just taking a quick look at Leeds in terms of their position in the Premier League and and Marcelo Bielsa, Alex, because... Looking at the Premier League picture, their their place in the Premier League has not changed, but that's because not really many teams around them played this weekend. They stay in 16th despite losing just one Premier League win in the last eight. They've lost three on the bounce, Chelsea, City and now Arsenal the weekend just gone. And it's almost a copy and paste in terms of the way Leeds approach these games. We know they have injuries in key areas of the team, particularly um, Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford that are, that are massive for them. And we know that Bielsa will go punch for punch, whether they're away at Manchester City or they're at home to Arsenal. And given the fact that that isn't going to change, there might be minor tweaks here and there. This is the way they're going to do it for as long as Marcelo Bielsa is in charge at Elland Road. Is it right to just stick with him, stay on the roller coaster? probably have enough to stay up but there's going to be a few hairy moments between now and the end of the season yeah um i honestly because it's leeds and i don't like leeds obviously um <laughs> i'd be nice here whatever you're about no, to say what i am nice. what i am about <laughs> to say so so okay they get battered they get battered a lot they let six and seven goals in they let four goals in against arsenal it's, if, if they lose five or six nil nobody is surprised um the mitigating circumstances for that is there's only really um, well Bamford is a, a really really great goal scorer and he's not been firing this season he's not been playing a lot uh, so you've got Rapinha is possibly the only sort of real goal threat so when you say they're going punch for punch it is literally like they are taking punches but they can't really there's only one player in that team who's scoring any of the goals or really doing anything um, I think it's a real 
interesting situation. And I, to be fair, for where Leeds are and the players that they've got, and I think it's realistic. And I think I think it is the right decision. And I never thought I would say that, but I think they they can go look if we can win six or seven games in the last um, of the last sort of twenty games of the season, which they're more than capable of doing against all the sides in the bottom half, mm. then we'll stay up. And I don't think it's a terrible, terrible plan. Um, and it is, you know, they, they, they could stay up with the by far the worst goal difference in the league. But no one's ever really tried to do it that way before. And I'm not saying I think it's, I wouldn't like it if I was a Leeds fan. But I don't see what they could do and get in. I don't think they could get anybody in really better. Would you want to be like scraping nil nils every week when you go, what, we might lose three games, but then the next game we're going to win three nil or three one. It's going to be one of the best games you've ever seen. I think if you're a fan, I can totally get why that they're keeping him. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And Isha, he does have an incredible relationship with the Leeds United fans. Ellen Road loves him. They'll sing his name at every game, whether they win, lose or draw. He's he's absolutely symbolic of their change of fortunes. He is the manager that's got them back into the Premier League. They had so many near misses. But you look at other clubs around them in the table and, and going from the bottom up, you've got Norwich, who obviously sacked Daniel Fark and brought in Dean Smith. Newcastle, Steve Bruce left. Eddie Howe came in. Burnley, the Sean Dyche factor, there's a level of protection there. Watford have brought in Claudio Ranieri. Then above him, you've got Southampton. Harson Hootel's been under pressure. Rafa at Everton's been under massive pressure. And skip even higher up the table. Smith left uh, Aston Villa. Steven Gerrard came in. Brendan Rodgers has had a bit of pressure here and there. There's been the situation at United. Solskjaer leaves. Ralph Rangnick comes in. Arteta was under pressure earlier on this season. There's no calls. There's no pressure on Marcelo Bielsa. And he, and he is deserving of a lot of time and a lot of credit but he's absolutely bulletproof. Is he bulletproof if in two months' time Leeds are in relegation danger? See, I think he is protected somewhat, for sure. I do agree, because of, you know, perhaps that brand of football that he brings to the league, given even when Leeds were first promoted, like, wow, this is exciting, this is entertaining. You know, it's all, like, fresh and it's all fun to watch. I think the difference with him being protected in terms of, you know, big criticisms or uh, perhaps pressure that other managers would get is that he does actually hold his hands up when he when things don't actually go to plan. He has responded honestly in his post-match press, presses before. He's explained that, you know, his attacking transitional pressing game, it comes with inherent risks. He even said after that Arsenal game, he's vowed to, you know, continue fighting until the end of the season but he does accept that he's not immune from being sacked. And I think that humility, it just shows he's a realist, you know, regardless of perhaps that lack of immense media criticism you might see for other failing managers. And I have to say, I respect that. Yeah, it just it just kind of makes me think if the picture changes significantly, if we're in the same place in February or March, it might be a different set of questions. But for now, I think Bielsa is absolutely as uh, as safe as houses at Elland Road, right? We're going to switch back to Saturday's, or sorry, Sunday's games, I should say, in terms of reviews. We're going to go to Alex first because I want to get Isha's take on Newcastle. So, Alex, we're going to get your view on Manchester oh, City. Come Three on. Runs. It, <laughs> no, come on, we've got to be fair. We've Last be question. Fair. Praise to, Leeds. This question. To... Praise Man City. Come on. <laughs> you managed to grit your teeth and get through Leeds. So, it'll be the same now for City. Um, three wins in a row. 
13 goals scored in those three games, no goals conceded. Excellent again at St. James's Park today. Four goals, all pretty free and easy. The first goal was gifted to them by Kieran Clark's error. Jao Cancelo with an absolute brilliant goal, and then Mares and Sterling late on to just to just wrap it up for them. And we talked at the start of the show, Spurs and Liverpool, and how it was crash bang wallop. It was 100 miles an hour, lots of action, lots of incidents. These two games are almost symbolic of how City approach things and how Liverpool do. Liverpool love thriving in the chaos of those types of situations. I was pretty confident, I mentioned to Isha before we started recording, that Liverpool, as talented and as determined as they are, were going to get a winner. They didn't in the end. Whereas City, I don't get the sense that City are as comfortable in those types of environments. They prefer these sorts of situations. Yes, obviously, Newcastle and Spurs are a completely different opposition where they can just exert themselves and keep demanding from themselves right the way across the 90 minutes. They don't want the other stresses. They just want to dominate. And that's exactly what they did today. Yeah, I think um, I think it's interesting if you, that you drew a parallel with Liverpool because one of the absolute best games of the season was City, City at Liverpool earlier in the season. It was absolutely phenomenal. And... If you're a, a, one of the sort of lesser sides in the Premiership or you're maybe not quite as organised or you're having a bad day, City, the way that they set up, will always punish you. They, they like it, it feels almost like they try and squeeze a game where they're very patient. They will always play the same way. They don't give up any possession. It feels like they play really high up at the pitch and they always attack in from the wings. So when Newcastle were down within five minutes, I turned it off. I just knew it was like this would be a two or a three nil at best for Newcastle because they almost committed suicide in the game. Um, the the thing with City where, where I think now there, there are a couple of points clear at the top, what they have over Liverpool and um, possibly Chelsea, maybe, maybe not Chelsea having a bad spot, uh, City have got a really good squad where they can bring in players in almost every position and it doesn't make any difference. And on any given week, who's the better option on the right-hand side? Is it Mares? Is it Bernardo Silva? Do you put Sterling on the left? Do you put Foden on the left? And he probably just interchanges it based on the opposition and based on what he sees in training. Whereas you saw at Liverpool, they, they were missing a couple of midfielders. They're missing Van Dijk. Liverpool would have won that game every day of the week. I think they were in great form, um, so I think that's probably why City won a favourites for the title. And and two, you know what? It's just great organisation. It's great work from the football club. They've got a massive budget, but they use it all very well. And it's such a deep team with such a definite style of playing. It just it almost feels a bit like a machine to me. That um, I think it at this moment in time, I don't see anybody else winning the league than City. Bold shout there. Right, we're going to flick over to, to Newcastle, Alicia, to get your take on this. Alex said that he was up for turning off the TV at 2-0 because he knew how it was going to go down. You probably, in your heart of hearts, knew that as well. But in terms of the situation at Newcastle, the win over Burnley just saw this massive rise in confidence. And although the games coming after it were always going to be difficult, Leicester, Liverpool and now Manchester City, three defeats from those games has deflated the Burnley bounce massively because... There was a few points of controversy in the game today. Ryan Fraser denied a penalty after being brought down by Edison. Joel and Tom missed a good chance. There was a couple of other half chances scattered across the 90 minutes. And I'm sure you'd look at this and say, we don't expect to beat Manchester City at home. They're a fantastic side. They're the defending champions. But 
there does need to be some sort of bounce from that Burnley game. It didn't emerge from it immediately after. But looking at the fixtures coming up, Manchester United at home on the 27th, a trip to Everton and reunited with Rafa on the 30th, and then starting 2022 with a big, big long trip down to Southampton. It's it's looking tricky, and Eddie Howe, any confidence that he might have had at the start is starting to crack a little bit. Yeah, you are right. And yeah, that's the thing. Going into these fixtures, even since that first win of the season with Burnley, I never looked at these forthcoming fixtures, particularly with the congestion that comes with the Christmas period. I never looked at the fixtures thinking any of them are winnable. I thought we might not even be able to pick up a point. I think you even asked me maybe a few weeks ago about this. And it's a huge transitional period. Eddie Howe can't work his magic overnight. The only thing I was half hoping for was that we're not in a worse off position going into January because I'm sorry, every day I'm reading these, um, you know, the reports on these transfer targets and these big names. Are you seriously telling me big names will consider joining a side that is, yes, got the wealthiest owners in the world, but there's the massive risk of being relegated to the championship. Are these high profile names actually going to entertain the risk of signing with a side when they could well end up in the championship next season no they won't okay yeah I did not expect a win today but the Leicester game I mean 4-0 Leicester I, I thought Leicester sort of you know out of form at the minute and then Liverpool again didn't expect to win and then this just seals the deal and then of course we're going to Man United and Man United it's not ideal they are well rested well it depends how you look at it I guess Alex will speak more about that is it 60 yeah 16 games 16 days without a game is a really long time for Man United yes we'll be considered the underdogs again to pick up a victory against Man United Thankfully, the January transfer window is around the corner, but what does that mean? Because is, it, money can't buy names that are going to get on board with that huge, huge task, and it is a massive task. I don't envy Eddie Howe's mountain of a task right now, and I, I, honestly, I am really, really, really concerned, and I, I will be really surprised if we survive relegation. Final game of the weekend. As I say, obviously, it's been a reduced picture due to COVID cancellations. Alex, a real pea soup of an afternoon at Molyneux. Mm. Wolves nil, Chelsea nil. And this was a really, really poor game. One shot on target for either side. Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel confirmed before the game and then added to it after the game, wanted it off. They appealed to the Premier League to say that based on another rise in positive COVID-19 tests, uh, sorry, cases, within their squad they wanted it called off the Premier League said no they still fielded a pretty strong team but this was another disappointing result another difficult situation for, for Thomas Tuchel to look to to assess so I just want to ask you about them before we take a break because I mentioned on last weekend's show that I think we're going to start to see a, a two tiers within the top four and the title race of Liverpool and Manchester City accelerating away and whilst Chelsea is still an excellent team and they'll probably still get a top four place just looking at their run of results in the last few weeks, one win in their last four. They've dropped silly points today, drew in midweek against Everton, lost to West Ham mm. at the start of December. They do have issues and, and COVID is a big, big factor at the moment, but they just can't seem to get it together and Liverpool and City will not wait for them. No, I, th- I think you're right. It's, it genuinely has surprised me because six or seven weeks ago, I thought Chelsea were top of the league and I thought they were they looked to be effortlessly winning games. Everything seemed to be working for them. And most importantly, they seemed to be able to score at will. 
Um, and then it, it, just a few cracks started to appear where they'd start conceding a couple of goals uh, per game. The West, the West Ham game, I was absolutely flabbergasted at that result. And then when I watched the performance of of Chelsea, I, thought, I, I just thought they de- defended really, really poorly. Um, on the other side of that, Kante is back, who's one of the absolute best defensive midfielders in the league, if not the best defensive midfielder in the league. He's all over the pitch and he is one of those players that will spark a difference in Chelsea. I wonder what went wrong yesterday. I wonder if they were by arguing an hour before kickoff, if the mood was bad, if the mental attitude was not quite right, if they were just concentrating on keeping a clean sheet. Um, but they didn't seem to attack well. They offered very, very little in the game going forward. And, um, it's you know, Tuchel, he will be concerned about this because this is probably, since he arrived, he's He's definitely his worst spell and probably the first time any any of the players will have thought, oh my God, everything we touch is not just falling exactly into place. So um, it'll be interesting over the next couple of weeks. It will indeed. Right, we're going to wrap it up in terms of reviewing the Premier League action from this weekend and take a quick break. After the break, we're going to be getting stuck into some of the news that's been doing the rounds in the Premier League over the last 48 hours. Manchester City icon Sergio Aguero has announced his retirement from professional football. We're going to be getting the guy's views on his impact on the Premier League and where he stands in the Premier League pantheon of all-time greats. And we're also going to be discussing transfer gossip. Delhi Ali, who was back in the Spurs team today, could be on his way north to St. James's Park if Newcastle want to splash the cash in January. And Erling Haaland, maybe Newcastle can have a look at him, drops to 75 million. A cool 75 million euros, if you've got it, will get you Erling Haaland in 2022. But Manchester City as it stands, are leading the race to sign him. We're going to be getting stuck into all of that in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to Sunday night's Premier League review show with the Football Social Daily. A reduced run of games this weekend due to COVID-19. Just four matches, but plenty of action. In part two, though, we're going to be focusing on some big news that is floating around in the Premier League. Now, Alex, we got you to talk about Leeds. We got you to talk about Liverpool. We got you to talk about City. So I'm going to give you a break for a minute. (laughs) I'm going to go to Isha first on this and talk about Sergio Aguero. Aguero's announced that he's retiring from uh, professional football based on medical advice. Obviously, his stint at Barcelona was disrupted by injury initially and then some pretty difficult scenes uh, last week where he did a really emotional press conference to say that, based on advice due to a heart problem, he is stepping away from professional football. Now, Man City fans do not need reminding of uh, of Sergio Aguero's numbers, but I'm just going to run through a few of them here just as a reminder of his impact on the Premier League. He's the fourth highest ever Premier League goalscorer, the highest ever non-English goalscorer in the competition, 184 goals. And I think we talk about consistency in terms of players and strikers and that's how they're measured uh, when we look at their careers, when they wrap up, when they retire, when they step away. And one of the big ones for me here, just looking at Aguero, in his final seven seasons in Premier League football, where he played a full role, so I'm ignoring last season when he was injured, mm. he scored 20-plus in six of those seven seasons. 
which is an absolutely incredible level of consistency. Five Premier League titles to go with it. He's an icon for Manchester City. Within the Premier League, where do you put him in terms of the greats that have played in the Premier League? I mean, firstly, I have to say that um, press con he did after he announced it, that was really emotional, really, really emotional. I really teared up with that, gutted to hear the news. Of course, his health is more important. We know that now more than ever after the scare we got during the Euros with Ericsson. I think, yeah, I agree. He's a fantastic striker. I think the Premier League will never forget him. I think that, you know, the Aguero, it will stay with us forever. It's a really, 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 really fond memory that anyone has, even if they aren't City fans. I think if I was to put him amongst the greats, I have to say straight up, Thierry Henry for me is number one. He's taken the top spot for sure. I definitely put Aguero in the top 10, you know, amongst like Simon Gerrard, of course, Alan Shearer. You know, there's no bias there. I could have put Alan Shearer first, by the way, guys, but no. Thierry Henry is definitely number one. Um, Alan Shearer is probably a close second. Yeah, amongst the top 10 for sure, I'd put Aguero. He's incredible. I think it's actually quite sad in a way that maybe his... His career, I think his career was worthy of Champions League titles, but it just wasn't meant to be. You know, that summer move to Barcelona, it was maybe supposed to offer him that sort of fairy tale ending to his career. Messi was out the door. And then, you know, we've seen what's happened to Barca. They've just sort of spiralled into a meltdown on and off the pitch. And then, of course, they failed to reach the Champions League knockout phase for the first time since... 2003, I believe. So it just wasn't meant to be for him. And it's a sad situation, but he'll never be forgotten in the Premier League. He definitely makes the top 10 for me. Looking at his position in terms of being in the Premier League and, and wider football in European football, that lack of a Champions League that Isha mentions, Alex, is, is something that will kind of get rolled out against Aguero by you know United fans like you that, lo- that love to remind them of, uh, of the situation. But when you look at that list in terms of all-time Premier League goal scorers, with the exception of Shearer, you've got Wayne Rooney in second, he won the Champions League, Andrew Cole in third, he won it in 1999. Frank Lampard won it as well. And Thierry Henry, albeit at Barcelona, also won a Champions League. Aguero's right in that company in terms of his numbers. Does the lack of a Champions League make any sort of an impact in terms of the way that he's remembered? Is it something that will count against him when he's measured in the real, real top level? Or is that just one of those things that if he was in Manchester City in 18 months' time, he could well get one? Well, um, no, I don't think I don't actually think it does because people always you're always asking who's the greatest Premier League player of all time, and Shearer is always as as the top goal scorer, and rightly so. Shearer is often mentioned Woo-hoo! as um, how are the lads? <laughs> Shearer is often mentioned as um, a, you know, in this conversation, and when you look at what he won, which was basically he won a, a championship with Blackburn Rovers, um, and I think that's it. So. I don't see how really not winning a European Cup is, you know, he had a fantastic uh, international career as well with Argentina. He, I think they won the Copa America twice. I think they got to the final of the World Cup. Um, so he's he's had an amazing career and he is an, an amazing footballer. Um, the thing I think goes against him where you probably wouldn't put him as the top one or two is because he ultimately was a finisher which is the hardest thing to do in football. We all know that. Um, so he ranks alongside Michael Owen when he was at his peak, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Aguero. But then 
why I think if you were talking about strike and Andy Cole even he's, he was just a finisher, whereas Shearer's game was was much more rounded. So I don't think you'd even class Aguero as the top striker ever in the Premier League. I think that would be Shearer for me. Maybe Henri second. Maybe maybe you'd be the you know level with Rooney on joint third something like that. So um, it, without a doubt, it, I hate to say it, he's an absolute fantastic footballer. He <laughs> would make any side better at his peak. He's had an amazing career. He's definitely top ten of all time. Probably for, uh, probably City's best player of all time. Um, but I, I, I think it's almost pointless to go where is he first? Is he second? Is he third? It doesn't matter. He, he was fantastic. Most importantly, he's not at City anymore, and he's not playing anymore. That's what we should all be happy about. Uh, I just want to ask Isha, in terms of his position within City and in terms of his status, City fans will have him as an icon forever and he's symbolic of this change of this new Manchester City side where they're a, they're a superpower within English football, within European football, albeit with, as we've just mentioned, not winning the Champions League or certainly not yet winning the Champions League. And there's so many players that are thrown into that box that were included in, in, in Aguero's teams, David Silva, Yaya Torre, Vincent Company. When we look back in 5, 10, 15, 20 years or, or whatever, Will Aguero edged them out in terms of City's greatest ever player. They've all got really special places uh, in the affections of City fans. But Aguero's goals, that moment that you mentioned against QPR where he won them the league in the most dramatic fashion imaginable, does that give him the edge as City's greatest ever? I think it's really hard to say. I think, you know, all these kind of icons that you've listed, they brought something different. Vincent Company with his leadership skills, they were unrivaled. Aguero with his goal tallies, insane. Even David Silva, I think they're really good at producing these really, these guys that stick around for a long time. You know, he was there at Man City for a decade and they all brought different things. I think it's really hard to sort of see who perhaps edges one another and I'd just say for what he brought and the goals he was able to score and the sheer number and stats but because you know we, we haven't even spoken about Kevin De Bruyne and god forbid when he leaves them you know of course I'm not a Man City fan but I can recognize these huge huge assets they have and Kevin De Bruyne is another one I think yeah like I said I don't think I can really compare all of these icons with each other and I think in terms of goals over the past decade, at least, yeah, he's definitely number one there for Man City fans. I'm sure of it. Yeah, he's just he's just an absolute legend. Like I'm just I'm just reading back through some of his stats here, and they they genuinely are incredible. But very sad to see him uh, bow out because of ill health. But an incredible career for club and country. Right, we're going to move on to some transfer links. And Isha, one big one involving your team, Newcastle, ahead of the January transfer window. We do expect Eddie Howe to splash the cash, but. Mbappe, Messi might just have to wait a little bit. I think there's going to be some slightly less uh, exciting signings coming through the door. But one that you know could get the pulse racing a little bit is Delhi Ali. There's talk of a £25 million bid to bring him from Tottenham to Tyneside in the January transfer window. He obviously played against Liverpool today, but that's his first Premier League start under Antonio Conte. He'd only played 90 seconds of Premier League football under the Italian prior to today previous situation with Nuno Santo he also wasn't really in the team Nuno Santo wasn't a good fan of him Conte was interviewed after the game today and said yeah he played well but he didn't really embellish any further on the situation than that Deli Ali is a fantastic player we don't have to go that far back to remember just how good he is as a goal scoring midfielder given the fact that Newcastle are going to look to strengthen they're not going to be spending millions and millions and millions in six weeks time they're going to be spending money to keep themselves in the Premier League 
could Deli Ali be a perfect sign-in for, for stage one of what Newcastle want to do? I think it's a really interesting one because, of course, if you'd asked me when the takeover had happened, I have big, big plans, big ambitions. I think as, you know, we've been on the decline and we have just picked up that one win and, you know, of course... I can talk all day till the cows come home about how terrible we've done this season so far. It's actually shocking. That plays a huge part in our business in January. It is what it is. Deli Ali popping up now whilst we're, you know, nearing the end of December on paper, the situation we're in and a, an agent looking at us mathematically and telling their talent, yeah, there's a huge risk here that you might be going down with them and you're going to have to really play a huge part in a relegation scrap. Deli Ali perhaps might be the right candidate for it. Like you said, he did start today against Liverpool and he, I think he played quite well. It looks kind of promising. My only, The only thing is, if Conte had come on board maybe a few months ago and we could see what Deli Ali still has in him, could he get his mojo back? Because we've not seen a lot of him. You know, I haven't really seen any fight or real quality in his performances for like two two and a half years now. Yes, his first two seasons where he won that back-to-back Young Player of the Year awards, he was absolutely wonderful. He was a fantastic player. Since then, I've not really seen enough to know. Is he really the type of player that still has it in him to show some fight and to get us out of this relegation scrap? Maybe. I think it's a more plausible signing than the other big names that are doing the rounds. And the new owners are, they've, they've, voice their intentions to sort of build an English spine of the squad. Mm. He fits the bill, so why not? Yeah, I would not say no. Alex, looking at the position that Newcastle are going to find themselves in in January, there is going to be the temptation to be linked with every player under the sun because we know the investment that they potentially can put into bringing new players into the team. But one of the interesting things that I look at with Newcastle is there's always this knee-jerk reaction of team in danger of going down, they need a goal scorer. But Callum Wilson looks absolutely perfect for mm. scoring enough goals to keep them in, in the Premier League. There's only two players in the bottom half of the Premier League that have scored more than him this season. So an alley in midfield to give them control of games and also provide a threat bursting into the box and finishing chances off like Joe Willock did uh, when he was on loan there could be a real option because it's very easy to just say, let's get in a goal scorer that will score us enough goals and get us enough points and get us out of the bottom three. Newcastle need to build a structure around Callum Wilson, Alan Sat-Maximin in order to make sure that what Eddie Howe is trying to do can be implemented. Yeah, I think um, you you mentioned it right at the end there, those two players, Wilson and Sat-Maximin, absolutely wonderful, wonderful players and deserve to be in... Well, they're in, a, they're in a good place. I love Newcastle. It's a great city and they need better players around them. I'm not sure Deli Alley is fully the answer. He feels like um, when when Lingard went to West Ham, West Ham had already got three or four real dynamite players. They got Declan Rice in midfield. Antonio wasn't quite firing at the time. They'd, they'd got a de- some decent defenders in a, a decent midfield. I don't think Newcastle have got either of those things. I think Newcastle's priorities should be one defenders and to get somebody in the centre of that midfield who can control games, who can boss games. John Joe Shelby still doing a you know an admirable job, but isn't the player he maybe was five or six years ago. And and ultimately, I, I, as well, wasn't good enough for Liverpool when he was at the peak of his of his game. Um, so, you know, it, 
he's not quite the standard that Newcastle, with the money they now have, will aspire to. Deli is a risk. I think he was brilliant today. I think he's potential to turn himself around again. He now has had more bad seasons than good seasons in the league, and he's not been at it for three years. So something isn't quite right. And I, I think Newcastle, with the money they've got, they can get better players than Deli Alli they, they, that they don't have to risk them. You think they would consider coming, though, yes. with that big um, yes, relegation? Because, because of money, and you, you can think? put a clause in your contract that you can get out. But ultimately... Um, when when City started to develop and, and City started to change and become the City that they are now from the City that they were, they were in a not too dissimilar position to Newcastle currently. And the players you were the players sure. you attract, it's it's money and also the fact that you know you you're going to be getting double your your weekly wage. And then there's only a limited amount of teams who can in the Premier League who can afford to pay what Newcastle are now able to pay. There's probably United, maybe Liverpool, definitely City, Chelsea. I mean, if you go to Arsenal, you'll, you, you'd be probably lucky to get 100 grand a week or that, that'd be like a top-class player, they'd give 100 grand a week. Newcastle can go, we'll give you 300 grand a week. So instantly, True. money talks. So I don't have any fear of them attracting anybody they want over the next three, four years. Money certainly does talk, and money is definitely going to talk when it comes to Erling Haaland. His situation is set to change in 2022. Borussia Dortmund sporting director Michael Zork has done an interview this weekend in saying that under certain circumstances, if certain criteria is met, Haaland could be on his way out of Dortmund this season. Uh, Isha, I want to get your view on this because we know that it has been heavily rumoured that his release clause drops the £75 million back back in business now with Borussia Dortmund and scoring goals. His, his numbers are absolutely superhuman. 41 goals in 41 games last season, 19 in 15 this season. He's back fit after his injury. He came back a month early from his injury, despite the fact that <clears throat> it looked as if he'd be out until January. City are going to be in the market for a new striker in the summer. We know the situation with Harry Kane 12 months ago. That didn't work out and he didn't leave Tottenham. Is this just a case now of City go all out for Haaland. There's going to be interest from Barcelona, from Real Madrid, from Bayern Munich. Erling Haaland, at this moment, this is probably the best opportunity Manchester City have got to sign him. Do they just go full throttle, forget about Kane, and go for Haaland? I think so. Like you said, there's never really been a better time. I think Man City's failure to sign Harry Kane in the summer, it makes this move for Haaland all the more feasible. Why not? And their success across all competitions... We can't underestimate that, you know, even without a recognised out-and-out striker. And Alex has said it, you know, the amount of different goal scorers they've got, you know, this week, who is it? Is it Foden? We all joke about Pep Roulette, you know, on FPL Twitter. What is it, Riyad Mahrez? Is it Foden? The options are crazy to score goals. And is Holland going to be the final piece of the jigsaw to really elevate them to the next level? Yes, he undoubtedly would be. Is there going to be demand from European football for him? Yes, there is. They need to act really, really quickly. But like I said, I think there's never been a better time. Now with this new ruling, they need to act quick and they need to put money where their mouth is. They haven't got Harry Kane, so that wasn't, you know, that didn't burn a hole in their pocket. It, it seems perfect timing. They should just go for it. Would you agree, Alex? You know, we've got your views on, on Leeds, mm -hmm. Liverpool, City a couple of times. We're going to go back to you on this to wrap up the podcast. Haaland is the hot prospect that probably along with Kylian Mbappe in terms of strikers yeah. that the big clubs in Europe are, are going to be chasing this summer 75 million at 21 years of age for the demonstrable ability that he's got to just score goals on an almost 
industrial level. City, for me, shouldn't be wasting the time with Harry Kane. Yes, he got himself a goal today, but personally, I think that ship has sailed. I think Pep Guardiola has realised there was one opportunity to get Harry Kane. If they got him, great. If they didn't, they'd move on. They can't afford to be napping on this because Bayern, Barca and Real Madrid will all be looking at this. We know that Mina Raiola will want his slice of the pie as well. So City need to get on the charm offensive if they want to have a chance of bringing Haaland to City next season. Yeah, um, and I don't think it's just those teams that you mentioned either. I think there's, I think it's everybody in world football. And I think given the choice, I love Mbappe, he's a fantastic player, but Haaland is just such a rare talent really he, he, he industrial is the perfect way to describe him he's like a goal scoring robot he is super strong he's really quick he can finish with either foot from anywhere in and around the box um city would be mad not to try and buy him likewise so would man united so would chelsea because lukaku's not worked out so if he's going anywhere in the premier league i mean liverpool could throw you know break the wage structure pay the record amount he would go he would go anywhere Bayern's probably a, a decent shout um because of his German connections he's lived there he obviously knows that they nearly every season they they're in the top two three favorites to win the Champions League um Barca I think would be a strange move for him at the at the moment as likewise Real Madrid in Leicester is like huge rebuilds uh, a foot at both of those places I think the only other place that we haven't mentioned is Paris Saint-Germain um, but I'm not sure I think he would want more of a challenge My the top favourites for me to sign him I think Bayern are number one uh, and then I think anybody else in the Premier League but of course City will go for him because he's, he's a phenomenal player Obviously, I think I think if City make a move for him, it'd be wonderful to see him in the Premier League because I am a huge, huge fan of Erling Haaland. Right, guys, we're going to call it there for the Sunday night edition of the Football Social Daily. Isha, Alex, as always, on a Sunday night, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> Great stuff indeed, guys. And as always, here on Football Social Daily, despite the delays, the postponements and everything else in between, we are still here keeping an eye on the ever-changing picture in Premier League football. Right the way up and through Christmas, we'll be producing a daily Premier League podcast. So keep an eye out for that. If you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get access to a brand new one as soon as it is ready. Jim, Marley, Niall and the rest of the team will be back tomorrow, building up to the Carabao Cup action in midweek and looking ahead to Boxing Day, whatever comes, there will be some Premier League action to get stuck into. Thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.